want to make just a brief comment about the text for this morning before we get into the sermon itself. On page 8 of your bulletin, take a look at verse 3 from Matthew 3. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Bible critics and skeptics are fond of saying that Jesus never claimed to be God. Now, he did claim to be God, but he was very subtle about it because Jesus knew what the skeptics uh, tend to forget, and that is, if he testifies about himself, his testimony is not credible. It's not believable. It's what others say about him that creates credibility. It's what others say about him when they observe what he did. He does things only God can do. Then he becomes believable as the God-man. The most common way the New Testament writers refer to Jesus as God, and they do often, It's by taking passages from the Old Testament which speak of God, and then they apply those passages to Jesus, the God-man. Verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. See, the point is, the Lord himself, God, is coming to his people. And they apply that to the God-man, Jesus Christ. This is the most common way Jesus is referred to as God in the New Testament. Just take the Old Testament passages that talk about God, slap them onto Jesus because he fulfills them all. We bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So back to our sermon text, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came. Now, that verb there in the Greek is translated now as a past tense. He came. But in the Greek, it's present tense. It's continual action, meaning in those days, John the Baptist comes. He's coming. Present tense. Okay, so the suggestion is that John's ministry is ongoing. It's not simply confined to the past, but his ministry continues even now. His preaching office continues to this day. Wherever this gospel is read, John continues to speak to us all. He comes preaching, notice this, in the wilderness of Judea. Now that's curious, because God normally sends his prophets to where the people are at. Now he sends John, the last prophet of the Old Testament, he sends John to where the people aren't. He sends John to preach in the wilderness. But look at the result, verse 5 of your gospel reading. 
Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, many commentators will say, and I agree with them, it appears that God is calling his people back into the wilderness. And you remember, before they entered the promised land, when they left Egypt, they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. That's where they became the people of God. And John appears to be calling them back to the beginning, back to the wilderness. And we read in John's Gospel that John the Baptist was baptizing on the other side of the Jordan, the far side of the Jordan, outside of the border of Israel. So when the people came to hear John, they had to leave the promised land, go on the east bank of the Jordan, and then come back into the promised land, crossing the Jordan through baptism. In other words, God is calling his people to a fresh start. In a sense, he's, to use a computer term, he's rebooting Israel. And then verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, Roman numeral 1 in your sermon outline, repent means more than change your mind. In secular Greek, it means change your mind. Think differently, okay? Get your head on straight. But in the New Testament, it means change your entire life. Change your entire life. Convert. Reboot your life, in a sense. Your behavior, your priorities, your habits, your finances, your relationships, your longevity, every part of your life will be affected by the coming of Jesus. No part of your life will remain untouched when he enters. Now, I define repentance in the broad sense. In the broad sense, it means life change plus faith in Jesus. That's repentance in the broad sense. And faith in Jesus produces the life change that God desires in all of us. Verse 2, repent for, meaning because, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not repent so that the kingdom of heaven will come like it's up to you. It's repent because the kingdom has already arrived. Letter A, our repentance does not create his coming. His coming creates our repentance. His coming creates faith in our hearts and a new life within us, a change within us. And it is in that sense that we, quote, suffer. We suffer the coming of his kingdom because it comes to us whether we want it or not. God imposes himself upon you and upon me, regardless of how we may feel about him. Now, the good news is, we benefit eternally by his coming to us, but his kingdom, his coming, is beyond our control. Letter B, we suffer the reign of heaven. And I use the word suffer here in the archaic sense, the old sense, meaning we tolerate it, we bear it. We suffer the reign of heaven, either blessedly by falling on our knees in repentance, or banefully, meaning harmfully, by turning our backs on God. 
When the Lord enters your life, you die. And he lives in you. He gives you a new nature that wants to do the will of God and actually does the will of God. But your old nature, your sinful nature, suffers. Your sinful nature is dethroned. Your old self must die daily so that the new self can emerge and live for the Lord. This new life within you is eternal life. It's the greatest gift you'll ever receive. It's a life that's beyond the reach of death, but it involves the death of the person you once were, and therein lies the struggle. Your new nature in Christ is constantly in conflict with the old nature within you. It's a battle, and that's what we must bear. That's what we must suffer. And until we die and go to heaven, that nature, that struggle is within us. That's what I mean when I say we suffer his coming. We suffer the saving presence of God in our lives. Roman numeral two, prepare the way of the Lord to the cross. Now, look again at verse three. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way, that means the road, the path of the Lord. Make his paths straight. In other words, the Lord is on a road trip. And the road trip, the destination is the cross. He's going there to save us from ourselves, to save us from our sins. His coronation will be on the cross, and his crown is a crown of thorns. So when John says to prepare his way, John is saying to his countrymen, to his contemporaries, get out of his way. Don't be an obstacle in his path to the cross. Letter A, the devil puts obstacles in Christ's path. You remember the devil's temptations in Matthew chapter 4? The devil promises Jesus a kingdom without suffering, without dying. And whether the devil realizes it or not, he's tempting Jesus away from the cross. The devil and his temptations are obstacles in the path Jesus must follow. And then letter B, Peter becomes an obstacle in Christ's path. You remember in Matthew 16, Jesus announces that he will suffer. He's going to Jerusalem to suffer and die. What does Peter do? Good old Peter, he stands in Christ's path. He says, not so, Lord. This will never happen to you. You'll never suffer humiliation like this. You'll never be shamed in the eyes of your countrymen like this. No, not going to happen. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. In other words, follow me. Don't be an obstacle in my path. Get behind me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Peter's intentions may seem good. Even when in the garden, Jesus is being arrested, what does Peter do? He draws his sword to defend Jesus. Good intentions, right? But he's serving the devil, not God. He's an obstacle in Christ's path to the cross. Letter C. 
Obstacles are removed through repentance. Through repentance. Now the devil's not going to repent, but Peter will. Peter will fail again when he denies knowing Jesus three times. And when something is done three times in Scripture, that denotes finality. Peter has burned his bridges with Jesus. Peter is officially done with Jesus at that moment. But Jesus was not done with Peter. Christ's ability to restore Peter proved greater than Peter's ability to fail. And that, my friends, is the glory of the gospel. And that's what Paul means when he writes in Romans, the kindness of God leads you to repentance. God gets our attention by threatening us with the law, by threatening us with punishment. He gets our attention. But it is his kindness towards sinners made visible at the cross that renews our faith in and love for him and our desire to follow. God's ability to restore a relationship is greater than our ability to destroy it. The memory of my own personal failures haunt me until I'm reminded again of the good news that Christ's ability to forgive me is far greater than my ability to offend him. And that's true for me and that's true for you. So, John the Baptist calls upon his contemporaries to prepare the way of Christ to the cross. And they did that. Jesus has gone to the cross. He has suffered. He has died. And he is risen. But remember that Matthew writes of John's ministry in the present tense, not the past tense. That means John speaks to us, not to prepare the way of Jesus to the cross. That work is finished. But John preaches to us to prepare the way of Jesus to us, each one of us, personally and individually. Roman numeral three, prepare the way of the Lord to you. Letter A, the remedy for sin is not denial but confession. Verse six of our gospel reading, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. Notice this, confessing their sins. Confessing their sins, imagine that. They're not denying their sins, as we often do. They're not making excuses for their sins. No. Proverbs 28 says, He who conceals his sins will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. Frederick Dale Bruner wrote that we become free from sin only when we face it. We disown sin only when we own it. And sin is remitted only when it is admitted. To deny your sinfulness is to deny the reason why Jesus hangs on the cross for you. Our salvation was accomplished there. It's done. But our salvation's not given out there. You can't go back to the cross. The cross comes to you. Jesus brings it to you. The forgiveness Jesus earned for you at the cross is delivered to you in three ways, according to Scripture, through the preaching of the gospel, through the administration of baptism, and through the administration of the Lord's Supper. This is how God's grace reaches you where you're at today in 2022. You can't go back to the cross. God brings the cross to you through these humble means. 
All three activities, preaching, baptizing, and communing, all three activities have the promise of forgiveness attached to them. So, letter B. The benefits of the cross are available to you through word and sacrament, but are received only through repentance. Through repentance. Through faith in the life-changing message of Jesus. Now the Pharisees and the Sadducees in our gospel lesson, they heard the preaching of John, but they didn't receive any forgiveness because they were not repentant. They refused to repent. WCSI is one of the uh, local radio stations here in Columbus. And WCSI broadcast a variety of information and entertainment programs. I, I call it infotainment. And I know they want all of us to listen to their broadcast, but not everyone is tuned to the frequency, uh, AM 1010. I think it's 1,010 kilocycles or something like that on the AM dial. There are many other radio frequencies you can listen to and tune into, but if you're not tuned to AM 1010, you're not receiving what WCSI wants you to hear. And the same way, if you're not repentant, if you refuse the gospel and resist any life change, you're not receptive to what Christ has earned for you at the cross. If you're not repentant, you're not in a receiving mode with respect to the forgiveness Jesus desires you to claim. Repentance is, in a sense, God's frequency, his radio frequency, his bandwidth. Repentance is the only frequency at which he distributes his gift of salvation. And it's the only way to receive the forgiveness he died for you to have. I said earlier that our repentance does not cause Christ to come to us. Rather, it's his coming to us, whether we like it or not. It's his coming to us that causes our repentance. He comes to you every Lord's Day in word and sacrament, in teaching and in table. Every Lord's Day, Jesus is present, according to his promise, to apply the benefits of the cross to you personally. Their salvation is earned, but it's not given out there. It's given out through word and sacrament. The same body and blood that was given and shed for you is present in this humble meal. And here Jesus applies the benefits of his cross personally to the believer. That's his promise. Are you receptive? Are you tuned to repentance? Where are you every Lord's day? In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.